Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another episode of State of the Nation. This is the episode where we go deep on a topic that is in the news. And uh, today we're going deep on Rari Capital. This is maybe the Uniswap of lending. They've just made their pools permissionless. We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about what Rari is. Um, I, you know, I think the TLDR here, David, is that anybody can be their own compound. Anybody can open up their own pool and be their own Ave. But uh, give us the, the the quick rundown of what this is and why it's important. Why we're talking to Jay from Rari today. Yeah, just like you said, uh, Rari Capital is a modular lending market. I think it's an interesting way to explain it. And there's also a chance that during this stream, we uh, watch Rari Capital cross $1 billion in TVL. Right now, it's clocking in at $986 million, creeping upwards. Uh, and the growth in Rari Capital, because of their innovations, uh, has just absolutely blossomed from uh, just $100 million about 90 days ago to where it is now perhaps crossing a billion dollars uh, live on the stream. So uh, we're going to go into the details about how Rari Capital incentivized, incentivized all this capital to become deposited into the Rari smart contracts. Uh, there's also another story of that Rari Capital is uh, a protocol generated by three very young individuals at the time. Teenagers of when they started. Teenagers right? when started, yeah, 19 and 20, not even able to drink. I think some of them might be 21 years old now. Uh, we're about to check in on those details as well well, but really overall an astounding story in the world of DeFi. Look at this number tick up, David. We're, we're viewing this on the Rari Capital website is uh, 987 million right now, creeping up towards a billion. Dude, like I feel old. You want to feel old in DeFi? I remember when all of DeFi was less than a billion dollars. Right. And now here's a single protocol uh, built by a bunch of like 18, 19, 20 year olds getting ready to pass a billion dollars. My, my, how things have changed. <laughs> the banks are coming to us, uh, but we are definitely going to be talking about this. I think it's a fantastic story. And that, and that second piece, kind of that next generation of protocols that Zoomerify is becoming a term that we want to investigate some more is going to be equally interesting. But uh, David, before we get into some announcements, some other things, this is the part of the show where I get to show off your Fidenza rocks. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and talk about Zerion, who is uh, sponsoring Bankless shows for the next little bit because they want you to know that they have some NFT features that they have added to Zerion. In particular, their mobile app is quite nice if you want to showcase some hot NFTs that Shabbat like these. Or your mistakes. Rock, in my yeah, case. Showcase your mistakes. But <laughs> Enzerok number 54, they'd be showing that out, flexing <laughs> on the dates he's on, uh, sh showing the NFTs that he's rocking. Uh, anyway, Zerion is adding these fantastic features. Um, I, I love it. It's kind of a trophy case. Not only can tr you track your DeFi portfolio, but you can also track your NFTs and you can check that out at um, zerion.io slash bankless for more info on that and to get started, plug in, get started. David, let's talk about what's new in the world of bankless because we got some stuff cooking. Guys, is a hot six weeks for content? I mean, it's always hot for content, but like I feel like our lineup coming up is particularly hot. I think it's the Starting, best ever lineup we've ever had, for sure. But okay, after this show, Dave and I were just discussing uh, our agenda for our episode with 
Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. We've been trying to get him on the podcast for so long, and we, he is now finally on his tour trying to uh, spin up his uh, third party, his forward party. And there's a lot of problems about society that both Andrew Yang and crypto are trying to solve. And so Andrew Yang is trying to solve the, those problems via reform. And we want to see if we can convince him that another way to solve these problems is just by building parallel solutions. Yeah, the, the title of this episode, guys, is um, Crypto is the Way Forward. Is that the title? Forward, That's a working forward title. with crypto. Forward with crypto, even better. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We're coming up with the title as we go. By the way, are you wearing that to the Yang podcast? I don't know. Should I? Cool? Do you think? I think you'd I, like it. We haven't talked about this. <laughs> what are we wearing? Do we just wear this uh, T-shirt? Do we have to have like... I mean, just I have a, a major politician. Yeah. Do we mm-hmm. need a suit and tie? Uh, definitely not. He never wears a tie. He never wears a tie. That's his thing. Well, I mean, uh, maybe we'll talk about it afterwards, but I feel like you should just be you. Yeah. Just wear that. Oh, that's and what, that, that's what Andrew Yang does. Andrew Yang is just Yang. So I think he would vibe with that for sure. All right, let's do that. Uh, we also had an episode with Rune Christensen, DeFi OG. That came out on Monday. Definitely mm-hmm. listen to that episode. All about clean money. Also about uh, Ethereum maximalism. Question in mark? a weird way, question mark, in an interesting way. Uh, David, you also had Peter Pan on mm-hmm. Layer Zero. Um, that is Peter Peter's real name, right? It's Peter that Pan. Is, fun fact, that is re- Peter's real name. That is not a pseudonym, right? And uh, Peter Pan was one of the early Genesis members of Meta Cartel. Uh, and really the story of uh, Peter Pan and how Meta Cartel came to be is one of the most interesting uh, anecdotes, like interesting subject matters to dissect. Because uh, I actually kind of think it's ground zero for a lot of culture that has been created after the fact. So really a fascinating story there. That's on layer zero, of course, where David uh, has these in-depth interviews asking people personal questions. Like it's about the people, it's about the the cultural layer of Ethereum rather than kind of the protocols and, and the tech that we speak about so often. So make sure you catch that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely. Uh, I love every single layer zero episode we do. Uh, I do, but, uh, this one I think is, takes, takes, yeah, it's kind of my favorite so far. <laughs> They're all your children. They're all my children, favorite right? children. That's exactly right. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, to kick things off, David, I got to ask you the question I always ask on these episodes, and that is, what is the state of the nation today, sir? State of the nation is boomered. Ryan, we are getting boomered because we have Jay, who's going to be our youngest guest ever on the Bankless podcast, coming to tell us all about how three uh, ups, uh, up, you know, starry-eyed Zoomer dreamers created a $100 billion protocol on Ethereum. Uh, and as we all say, uh, every single weekly roll-up, crypto moves so incredibly fast that, like, it feels like people who came into the in class of 2017, like I was, and Ryan, I think you were class of 2016. We feel like we're a whole generation of DeFi apps behind, right? Like our DeFi apps that we're familiar with are Uniswap, Compound, Maker, but the the new entrants into crypto, into DeFi, are just familiar with a different set of applications. Uh, and so there's a new generation coming to town, uh, and we want to tap into that energy and that knowledge, and that's what we are going to do here today on the State of the Nation. Lest we fall out of touch with what the kids are doing in the (laughs) DeFi space, right, David? I I do feel like there's this whole new generation of DeFi apps that is making waves. Now, NFTs have caught everyone's attention right now, but these DeFi apps are silently accruing massive amounts of uh, attraction and a value inside of their protocols. And I think Rari Capital is one of them. So we are super excited to get into this conversation with Jay from Rari Capital. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. 
Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The era of proof of stake is upon us. Proof of stake systems like Ethereum, Terra, and Solana allow the industry to move away from the hot, loud, and wasteful proof of work systems and return back to a cottage industry of individual stakers and individual validators. And that is what we need to make this industry stay decentralized. Individuals must play their part in crypto network validation. And that is what Lido is here to do. Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof of stake systems and claim your share of the network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution for both. Simply go to lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake, and deposit them to the Lido validating network. Lido is working to make sure proof of stake stays as decentralized as possible, and is committed to decentralizing its own validating network to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol, and get liquidity on your stake, go to lido.fi to get started. All right, guys, we are back with Jay Bob Nani. Sorry, Jay. Uh, Rari, Rari, you guys have seen 10x in total locked value in the last 90 days. So you've gone from like 100 million. Let me look at the ticker. We are at 9 million, uh, 988 million, 988 million at the time of a speaking, we might hit a billion during this episode. Um, so that's like pretty good for any DeFi app, right? Even an OG DeFi app. But what's crazy is you guys are like 20, 21 years old, uh, you know, and, and you started this thing from the ground up. So we want to hear the story first, because I don't think David or myself or the bankless community has actually taken the time to hear the full story of Rari Capital. We published some articles on Rari, uh, like we've been following you guys for a while, but take us through the story. How did the three of you get together and decide to build a DeFi protocol that's now worth a billion dollars? Tell us that story. Yeah, definitely. First of all, thank you guys for having me here. Um, to dive into the story, I guess it starts with like the start of my crypto journey, right? So got in late 2016, early 2017, right as the bull run was just beginning to start. And the, the crazy thing is that I was flipping all these shit coins on Bittrex and everybody else wanted to do that. 
So they couldn't do it because Coinbase only had three assets at the time. And then I wrote like an instruction book, right, on how to go from Coinbase to my Ether wallet at the time and then to Bitrex so that everybody else could trade these shit coins. And of like 20 people I sent it to, only three of them were able to do it, right, they, that were actually able to go through all of these steps. And I was like, this is a problem, right? Like, let's, like, let's do something about this. So started work on a mobile wallet that made it super easy to interact with a decentralized exchange. At the time, it was 0x, just pulling in orders from Radar Relay. And then um, basically pushed that out and had a bunch of DeFi integrations, right? DeFi was just becoming a thing at the time. I think we were one of Compound Finance's first integrations, if not the first integration, outside of the Compound website itself. We were really excited about DeFi, right? So one of somebody who I brought onto the team was this guy, Jack Lipstone, who I knew from school. We consulted with Bain together, Bain and Company. And I was like, okay, you're a smart guy. Like, let's do this, right? You handle BD, I'll handle development and everything else. And we, we did it and it was a lot of fun, right? Just discovering DeFi in its, in its early stages, interacting with all these protocols, and then the bear market hit, and we were like, okay, there goes there goes a lot of our users, right? There there goes the people who are looking for 100x because they're they're all down and in the red. So ended up being acquired by my crypto, where we stuck around for about a year, right? So I was doing strategy, DeFi stuff. Jack was doing BD, and during our time at my crypto, we actually got introduced to this guy David Lucid. Um, Jack got introduced him through a mutual friend at a party, and we we instantly get connected, and I'm like holy crap, this is a smart guy. I was like, this is a guy that I know I'm going to work with at some point. And stayed in contact with David, ended up leaving my crypto at the start of the pandemic. And I was like, I want to, I want to do something, right? Like I, I want to play in DeFi. I was already obsessive about DeFi and it was consuming all my mental capacity. I was like, I need to do something in this space. And that's really how Rari Capital started is we said, let's build a yield aggregator, right? We just, we sold the company. We're sitting on some cash. Let's find a place to go and earn yield and let's build our own product that can go earn us yield using the cash that we have on our, like in our, in our bank accounts. So built out the product. And as we were designing it, we called David, right? Whose, whose number we had I was like, David, I have this cool idea. Let's go and build a yield aggregator. Right. And David had been in crypto for a long time as well. He actually built one of the first decentralized exchanges. Um, and and he was like, hell yeah, like I'm in. So we build we build the first version together, had like $350 deposit limit. Now it costs more than $350 to deposit in. And we we got up to like ten thousand dollars in TVL and we we're like, holy crap, this is so cool. Like we got ten thousand dollars under under our own system and and we've just been iterating since then. Jay, let me tell me what it's like to build a DeFi app. I definitely we we we're gonna totally unpack everything about Rari. But my first question is, what it's like to build in DeFi while you're in college? What's that like? Yeah, honestly, I would say it's a lot of fun, right? What what I think about a lot, honestly, is the DeFi founder life cycle, right? Maybe it's because DeFi founders want to be decentralized, but the unfortunate reality is that DeFi founders don't last more than eighteen months. Right. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's burnout. Maybe it's that they get so much money that they don't have any more motivation. But a lot of them phase out after about 18 months. And me, Jack and David and the rest of the team frequently talk about how do we not fall into this trap? Right. How do we not burn out after 18 months? How are we going to stay around for the next decade and iterate on this product? 
And a big piece of it is balance, right? And so, yeah, maybe I'm in school, don't really go to classes, but what's more important <laughs> is that school provides me a balance so that I can outlive every other person in, in DeFi today. So with you and all of your friends in college, are you like the crypto person that does the weird crypto stuff or like when you explain what you're up to with your friends, like, do they get it? So they don't really get it. It's it's the weird person with the weird crypto stuff. Okay. But honestly, like w when I'm with them, I want to just withdraw, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't want to talk crypto. I'm on my computer like 18 hours a day just doing crypto shit. I want like two hours a day in a, in a day where I can just like withdraw and, and be out of crypto because I think that's what will be key in, in enabling this project to, to last longer than others. Okay. So going back to Rari, you said uh, it's a yield aggregator. But it's also a money market like Compound or Aave. How do you explain Rari with in relation to all the other DeFi apps that uh, listeners might be familiar with? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. So we started Rari as a yield aggregator, right? And we got up to $10,000 TVL within like a month, which was really cool. Um, did like this guarded launch approach. And then in October of last year, we did a liquidity mining campaign, right? We're a fair launch project. We gave out 87.5% of our tokens to depositors across a 60-day period, right? So we, like the founding team, has very few tokens relative to most projects. And it was after this liquidity mining period that actually we realized, okay, now that we've stopped distributing our token, our TVL has collapsed, right? We're just another yield aggregator in a complete red ocean. We're in the middle of the stack in terms of people go from MetaMask to us and we go and deploy capital elsewhere. And looking at legacy finance and traditional finance, what we know is being in the middle of the stack is a race to zero with fees, right? And I just didn't want to compete in a landscape like that. I, I figured it, it, I don't want to be in a race towards zero with fees. I want to do something actually cool here and not just be competing and iterating and competing for strategies. So we said, okay, what can we do? And we said, we want to control the entire stack, this entire capital funnel of the wallet to the yield aggregator to, to wherever we deploy the yield aggregator. We said, okay, where do we start first? And it was on Christmas day of last year that I came up with the idea for Fuse. And basically the idea was, let's let's create this isolated this isolated lending and borrowing protocol. And the, the idea was not only because we said, okay, we wanna control the entire stack, but alongside that, we actually wanted to be able to lever up on the interest rate tokens that we had from the yield aggregator. So you could have leveraged yield aggregation. It wasn't possible to go onto Compound and go and, go and ask them to add our tokens because we were still a new project at the time. So we said, this would be a really cool solution. So I remember that night, I, I called David Christmas night, and I'm like, David, I just came up with something that could be cool. What do you think about it? And we chatted about it for two hours. And then right... Sorry, Christmas dinner wasn't entertaining enough for you, so you were think, <laughs> thinking about DeFi stuff you could do? <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, I'm always thinking about DeFi stuff we can do. Um, and then I called David, and um, I explained it to him. We talk about it for like an hour, and then we don't really talk about it for a few days. And then David texts me like a week later, and he's like, hey, I have a prototype. You want to play with it? And I'm like, holy crap, like... Let's do it. And that that was really the start of Fuse. And since then, obviously, been iterating on the Fuse protocol, seeing how can we make this more capitally efficient? How can we make this support more assets? And how can we make this truly something special? And I mean, now now when I think of Rari, I really think of us as this, this open interest rate protocol, right? The yield aggregator is now just used to supplement the, the Fuse product. We're, we're actively like iterating on all these products, but it all really centers around Fuse because Fuse is something special, right? It enables people to borrow and lend any asset. 
in a way that, like, quite honestly, you could never do before in human history, right? You'd always need some centralization, whether it be token holders, um, your bank, whoever it may be. The, the idea here is, like, let's enable individuals to do whatever the hell they want. Nobody should be telling anybody what they can and cannot do. Is this why, Jay, people are calling this, like, or maybe you guys are coining this term, uh, the Uniswap of lending, because it's that permissionless? Because unlike Exactly. With an Ave or a compound where it's sort of, you know, the pool is what it is, maybe governance gets to decide, token vote gets to decide which assets, you know, go into it or out. Uh, in this model, it's more like Uniswap, right? So, like, anyone can... Who has a token, you know, can create a Uniswap market. Anyone who has a token or a set of tokens can create a uh, a fuse lending and borrowing uh, market for this, right? Exactly. How I like to think about it is like, for those who were around in like 2018, 2017, it was like you had DEXs like Radar Relay, right, which had permission permissioned listings, right. It was the team that was adding to the order book. And now with Fuse, it's it's similar to how you went from Radar Relay into products like Uniswap. Right. And now we're doing the same from Compound and Ave into something like Fuse. So Uniswap famously is uh, good at providing liquidity for, quote unquote, the long tail of assets. And this is something that um, actually Antonio Giuliano from DYDX kind of um, uh, changed my mental model about things where I thought, you know, Uniswap's where all the liquidity is. But his his argument was that, well, for the assets with the most trading volume, it's still going to be order book based exchanges. But Uniswap can have all the long tail. Is that yeah. kind of the same model with like things like Aave and Compound where, you know, maybe Ether and WBTC might be the best assets to put inside of, of those money markets and then just borrowing USDC or DAI on the other end. Very basic stuff, but the long tail of borrowing and lending might be better served by Rari. Is that is that a fair take? So I, I think it'll be a little bit different for the lending and borrowing space than the exchange space, right? For something like Compound, Compound is a feature of the Fuse protocol. You can go and rebuild Compound using our protocol. Mm -hmm. So I don't think mm -hmm. like what 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 users of Compound are using and why they're using it isn't for the protocol itself. They're using Compound for the risk assessment that the Compound Labs and the Compound token holders are doing to make sure that the pool is safe, maybe using some of the reserves to play a part in that decision-making. But for us, there's, there's no efficiency differences in terms of using Fuse versus Compound. There's, there's a total world here where Compound becomes a Fuse pool, right? Maybe we can create a Fuse pool that matches Compound's exact same variables, and we can have a bot do that. And at that point, there becomes no reason not to use Fuse. And this is in Fuse's current state, right? What we're working on now is a bunch of different upgrades that's going to make Fuse capitally efficient, right? More efficient than the current lending and borrowing markets that we offer and that Compound and Aave offer. And that's when it'll get really interesting. Why, so if you can just like copy exactly Compound's parameters and deploy it into Fuse, why would you use Fuse instead of Compound? What's the what's the incentive there? It, it's more just like that that can happen, right? Oh, okay. And what 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 the consequences of that can be are really up to whoever the pool creator is. Maybe they want to get ris rid of reserve factors so that way they pay less to borrow. In which case, somebody can do that if they think it's the right decision. But the the end goal there is. There shouldn't be anybody telling you what you can or cannot do. What you're saying is like basically Fuse functionality is kind of a superset of Compound and Aave, right? Whereas Compound and exactly. Aave are just like a subset. Um, but but one of the reasons that Compound or Aave, in, in particular Compound, is maybe the more risk adverse, more conservative of the two protocols, right? You have kind of, you know, uh, 
compound, which is like, you know, suit buttoned up tie. Right. And then you have Ave, which is a little, a little crazier, a little bit of party. And then you have fuse, which is like <laughs> out there. You could do whatever you want on fuse. And the compound folks will say that that's because of risk, Jay, right. Yep. It's like some of these pools are downright dangerous. Like who knows the assets that might be backing some of these pools. And you're really going to, uh, you know, lend against them or, you know, borrow against them. You're going to use this as a, as a collateral source. What happens when they go to zero? What about the risk overall to the system? How would you reply to, uh, to those, uh, I guess, criticisms or, or those questions? Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Right. But it's, it's up to the pool creator at the end of the day, right? If you believe in compounds risk model, you can copy that into fuse, right? But the, 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 the real thing here is fuse shouldn't just be the, the party on this side, Fuse covers the entire spectrum, and it's up to pool creators to decide where they want to fall on the risk spectrum. I totally see Fuse pools collapsing with bad debt, and I also see Fuse pools thriving with, with great markets. And the, the idea here is let's let free markets really decide and let the pool creators dictate where they want to be on the spectrum. And I guess the key point, Jay, is that like one bad pool doesn't spoil the rest exactly. of the bunch. It's just kind of an isolated thing. Is that correct? Yep. Exactly. So your take is like, let a thousand pools bloom. And yeah, some of these will, you know, be, let the market decide, uh, you know, some of these will actually be okay. And the market will price that risk in. And I presume for some of these pools, uh, reward in, in terms of interest rates accordingly for, for the risk that, uh, an individual is, is taking kind of lending some assets to this. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you see some pools like Tetranode's own pool, right? You're, you're getting 76% LTV on your own, which is absolutely insane. But that's also reflected in interest rates being 40 plus percent on average for the past month on USDC and DAI. So Tetranode yeah, is paying 40% on his loans? I don't know if Tetranode himself is, but other people are inside of the okay. pool, right? And most of them are just leveraging up on Ohm and becoming nine nine. It's super fascinating. And like you, you also on the on the website though tried to do some sort of maybe it's rudimentary, maybe it's sophisticated. I don't know some sort of risk assessment based on these pools. And you have the the qualification of, of verified and unverified pools. And I'm assuming the verified pools mean it's been like previously it's kind of whitelisted, like it's gone through your governance process. Now I believe exactly. you've removed the governance process like from, from that angle so anybody can create a pool. So they're kind of, I guess, one and the same. But but tell me about the, the grade letter risk assessment because Tetranode's pool, and it's not you know, Tetranode may have created it, maybe labeled, to, but anyone can deposit, anyone can borrow against it. Um, j just to clarify, but like that gets a uh, an F score on the report card. So why does it get an F, and what drives that risk assessment versus other pools that get closer to like a C or a B? Yeah, there are a lot of different things that go into the risk assessment, and it's something that we're also just evolving with time, right? As we learn more and more about how these markets work and as we learn more and more about risk and what that looks like in DeFi. So really what's driving Tetranode's pool score down is that there's so much ohm in there, right? And there's almost getting to be too much ohm in there, right? And what it's happening is it's outweighing the, the ohm that is available for liquidity on SushiSwap. Right. So that means that for if for some reason there is cascading liquidations and you see 300, 400 million dollars of ohm, there's a chance that not all of the ohm can be liquidated in time at a good enough price to keep the lenders of the USDC solvent. 
So the the if there is a liquidation on Ohm, you're saying that there's so much Ohm in Rari that it would just wipe out all the liquidity in SushiSwap, which is a risk. Uh, and so you have to price that risk into the safety score. That's what's going exactly. on. Exactly. Yep. But like, who determines that safety score? Is it yeah, is it subjective? Of... No. So it's completely public. We have like an algorithm that does it. If you Google Rari risk score, I believe it should come up or something like that. Um, the Rari safety score is what we call it. And essentially, we're, like, what it, it's looking at so many different variables right now. And I don't even know if the latest one is up to date. Um, but but it, it's it's really cool. And one one thing that I will add is like, this is our front end. Right. This is this is Rari Capital's front end. But on the on the back end, right, risk scores don't affect anything. It's just something that we add on the front end. Same with verified versus unverified pools. So you go to a, another front end for Rari, something like market.xyz, and yeah, they they borrowed our risk scores. But at the end of the day, the white the whitelisted or verified versus unverified pools, these are all just things that we're adding to the front end. So all of these don't really mean anything on chain and they don't affect the lending and borrowing like interactions itself. I am glad you add it though, like at least as kind of a placeholder. And to your point, somebody else could create a different front end with a different um, risk score assessment that's more accurate, exactly. that's better, a better model and all of these things. But I am glad that you you added it at least as kind of a placeholder on your front end because I what, what I find is the tricky thing about, um, I, I guess this is just human beings is we're really shitty at assessing risk. Like yeah. we just can't do it. We see like juicy yield, like 70% yield. And we want to ape into that, right? We're like, oh yeah, it's 70% yield. Like what could go wrong? But what we don't look at is the, the true thing we should be looking at is risk adjusted yield, right? So what is that yield after you factor in the risk of the pool and all of these things that can happen? Like Factor figuring out risk and, and doing risk assessment, that's the hard work. It's very easy to generate a yield number. The hard work is to actually do the assessment of risk. And once you do that, you might find out that that pool is like negative yep. <laughs> in terms of risk adjusted reward, or or maybe it's only five, 4% or 10%. But um, people don't do that, particularly when, when DeFi is moving so fast. We're just like going from farm to farm to most attractive yield, most attractive yield. So I understand that your protocol is not a risk protocol, but at some level, if, if people in DeFi are going to make good decisions, we need to factor in the risk side of the equation as well. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. No, I, I think you got most of it, right? It's like, I think that most farms, just like in during DeFi summer, the risk to reward just doesn't make sense, right? And and it's really scary to see people aping in, mortgaging their home to go and ape in. And unfortunately, one, or I guess fortunately and unfortunately, is that our platform is now being used by real people who are using it for real world use cases, right? People are borrowing against their their dollar amount to go pay for mortgages on their home. Right. That's really, really cool. But it's also really scary. Right. So as, as the as the protocol's creators and as the protocol's founder, you're, you're, you're right on it. We need to inform users of the risks so that they understand so that it doesn't affect their real their, their real life. So I'm looking at the uh, interest rates being offered by um, Yearn, Compound, and Ave for USDC right now. And Yearn's clocking in at 6.0%. Uh, uh, Compound's coming in at just below 3%. Uh, 3% Ave's a little bit lower than that. DYDX, 4.75%. Uh, 
pretty good numbers when we compare them to, to TradFi. But if you compare them to Rari, Rari is clocking in, from what I see, on the USDC pool at 23.2%, which is meaningfully different than all the other interest rates that I just listed off. Where is that all of that interest coming from? Why is it so high on Rari? Yeah, so the interest rates are coming from us depositing into different fuse pools on the platform, right? We don't interact with any external, or at least we're rolling out an update that's going to remove us from interacting with any external protocols, right? I, I think it's too much risk to be interacting with them. Um, and basically, we're going to keep our technical risk internally, right? We know our code base best. We know how our product runs best instead of increasing our attack vectors to hundreds of different protocols. And the cool thing about this is Fuse also offers the best interest rates, right? As, as you can see by what you listed, all that all that this USDC or DAI or whatever is doing is it's just being reallocated into various different Fuse pools. And one interesting thing that we're actually just getting audited right now, or at least starting next week, is we're going to create a, a vault factory contract, right? So what that means is any asset that's inside of the Fuse platform, the Fuse lending and borrowing platform, we're going to have a vault for, right? So that means if you're sitting on SNX, if you're sitting on MKR, whatever, and it's inside of Fuse, we're going to have a vault that you can deposit into, which will enable you to, it'll automatically redirect between different yield sources, which gets really interesting because now our vault is not only delivering the highest interest rate, but we have a vault for every single asset. Very so, cool. Jay, I, I want to ask that this question because as you were talking, I was I was looking at this chart here from uh, from our friends at DeFi Pulse here, and this is a chart of uh, total locked value inside of Rari Capital. And you could see as you guys started, I guess, you know, last year where this was just sort of a yield protocol at the time, uh, I guess maybe the, the 24th of December where you called David and we're like, hey, I got an, a new idea. <laughs> You're at about 10 million in total locked value inside of Rari, right? And then we kind of see, uh, you know, some some up and down, but, you know, no major moves until about, uh, you know, the, the summer of, of this year where you were at 93 million total locked value. Uh, very respectable. And then we see this. <laughs> I have, I want to know what the hell happened on, on September 4th or in September in that, that time range, because you went from about like 180 million locked uh, inside of Rari to, to now where we're on the, the, the precipice of going to $1 billion. And this is in the past, like 45 days, this, this like curve up, this spike up, this Mount Everest basically has been climbed. And so what happened in the last 45 days to add all of this capital and all of this liquidity inside of Rory Capital? Usually when I see a chart like this, I'm like, oh, okay, they must have dialed up the yield farming. You know, something, something crazy is going on. What happened? Help explain this to us. Yeah. So there's there's three things in my head that, that really explain this. The first thing I'll, I'll start with, this isn't one of the three points, is we don't have any liquidity incentives, right? We aren't paying for depositors. We aren't paying for borrowers. We might start doing that soon. But really how, how I view the product right now is we're, we're still in search of product market fit, right? That, that chart kind of shows product market fit. But I, I still think that there's work that can be done. And by adding liquidity incentives, it blurs our ability to really check how the product is doing. So the three things in my mind are first, ohm going up, right? We are the first and we were the first and really only place for a long time that you could go and borrow and yeah, borrow against your ohm, 
right? So that created the entire nine nine meme, and people were people were doing really cool stuff with their own inside the Fuse platform. The second thing is that we were pretty. We started about two months ago being really aggressive about onboarding other other pools into the Fuse platform, right? Other other assets that are long tail assets that you couldn't get anywhere else. Stuff like the Badger pool, where you could borrow against your Badger positions, or the Vesper pool, where you could do the same with Vesper, or the NFTX pool, where you could borrow against your your punks or even short punks, right? All of these things we've been pretty aggressive about and onboarding capital as such. And one cool thing is like we've, we're, we're always like talking about how do we get counter side liquidity. In addition, Faye and Frax are minting from their, from, from their sources directly into different fuse pools. And then the last thing, in, in my opinion, and this is a, a, a newer thing, is the creation of permissionless pools. Right, we we just pushed that out. We've been sitting on that feature for a little bit now. We wanted to iterate with all of these different um, different partners first, and now anybody can go and start their own pool. And I think that between these three different things, it's it's led to that massive um, Mount Everest, as you call it. <laughs> uh, Jay, you talked about uh, uh, collateralizing punks, which is the ERC twenty derivative out of NFTX that's supposed to track the floor uh, floor price of crypto punks. Have you guys thought about actually leveraging uh, ERC seven twenty ones directly as collateral? Is this a subject matter you guys have discussed? Yes, we we've discussed it at length. One thing that we actually haven't announced publicly, but I guess I'll, I'll say it now, is we're actually working on Uniswap V3 LP positions as collateral. Neat. I think that's going to be really Neat. exciting because nobody else can offer it in the way that we can, right? If, if Aave or Compound want to offer it, they'll need to go and get some standardized token to do. Right, it's something like a gelato network, which automatically rebalances in Uniswap v3. We already have a gelato pool, though, so they they can go and do it if they want. But we already have it. Um, what is even more interesting is that Uniswap v3 positions, as you guys know, they're custom. Right, it's it's you you get a custom one for each for each position. So you can't go and add that to a general pool like Compound. But here inside of the Fuse platform. That's what Fuse is meant for. These isolated markets where risk is created just for each of these pools. So let's say somebody like Tetranode is going and supplying $5 million into the spell ETH pool on Uniswap v3 at a very tight range. He can go take that NFT, put it inside a fuse, borrow up, borrow against it, maybe take out a levered position on that. And that's when things get really interesting and show off the power of these isolated markets in a way that really nobody else is even capable of doing right now. So Th things get very, very interesting at that point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, so, and, and to me, as a punk holder, uh, this might get interesting because you, once you start building out the infrastructure to have these customized ERC-721s, it's just a few more steps down the line before you can actually collateralize actual NFTs. And if there's one thing that like I will speculate on has product market fit, it's NFT DGENs leveraging their NFT portfolios as collateral. Yep. David, it's going to get really cool. I'm, I'm, I would punk, never right? risk my punk. I would never you risk my punk. Take your punk to the no. pawn shop and just, you know. Oh, only after there, it's a hundred million dollar, or excuse me, a million dollar floor. Then, <laughs> then, 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 then we can definitely talk. Uh, real quick, before we get to sponsors and the, the next subject, um, you, you were talking a little bit about the roadmap, Jay. Anything else in the roadmap, like layer two plans, uh, multi-chain strategy, like you doing anything, other collaborations with other protocols, got us through some quick hits on the roadmap. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out over the next few months. 
Um, we have Market XYZ, which is like a sub-task force within the RARI community. They're going to be deploying on Polygon. We'll be ourselves deploying on Arbitrum, Optimism, ZK Sync. We'll get it all. But we will be waiting a little bit because, as I mentioned, we want to iterate on L1 Ethereum. It's what we know. It's what we do best, right? Really try and get product market fit. Then we'll turn on liquidity incentives probably sometime soon once once it's really been cracked. And between liquidity incentives deploying everywhere, it'll get really interesting. Beyond that, obviously, we're going to do a VERGT style thing, similar to what Curve does. Um, and they're going to be directing gauges, which will direct liquidity mining rewards into each of the pools. Um, what else are we working on? We're working on a lot of different things right now. Um, we, we have a new redesign coming up, which is going to be really, really cool. Um, and then the, the thing that I'm most excited about is this mechanism called plugins. And basically what a plugin enables is when you're starting a new Fuse pool, the biggest issue is attracting lenders into the Fuse pool, right? Because new lenders have a lost opportunity cost because they aren't getting paid anything to lend until somebody's borrowing, right? So if I'm sitting on a million dollars, I'm not going to go and lend into a new pool because I'm, I could be earning interest on my million dollars elsewhere. So what a plugin enables is unallocated capital from one place can be sent somewhere else. So it creates a connection between the different fuse pools. Because now if I'm starting new fuse pool, let's say 132, it, I can send all of the USDC from fuse pool 132 into fuse pool six, right? And suddenly that, that USDC that I'm onboarding into my pool is earning interest. And then that sets a base rate for, for the pool itself, which I think is going to be a really interesting dynamic when you think about it like that. It gets even more interesting when you think about it in, in outside of the fuse platform. So the first plugins will be for directing capital from fuse pools to fuse pools, but you can do it with anything. Right? You can have a fuse pool with a plugin that goes and directs capital to an AMM or to a staking mechanism on Vesper or even like Ohm is technically the first use case of plugins, but it's not really like clear that it's a plugin on the back end. But when you start connecting the puzzle pieces, building on these Legos, it's going to get really, really cool. Yeah, I, I'm loving everything you're doing, and I'm, I'm I just have to wonder how you have the time to do all of this as a as a part time student as well. And uh, it, this is uh, Jay and team like cranking it out while they're still in school. I can't wait until you're like full time on this. And this is uh, uh yeah, I guess the only thing you think about. You guys are building so much so quickly. I think there's more to unpack here. And Jay, when we come back after the sponsor break, we want to talk about this uh, this new cohort maybe of DeFi applications, which some people are calling ZoomerFi, but this is like the, the class of 2021. All of these new DeFi protocols that are emerging, the, the Ohms of the world, the Olympus DAOs of the world, maybe Alchemix, maybe we'd throw them in there. Maybe this new Abracadabra protocol, we throw them in there. I want to talk about them because I think they have a lot of traits in common that DeFi investors and followers of the Bankless program can all learn from and benefit from this new wave of DeFi. So guys, we will be right back with Jay to talk about that. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you're getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. 
That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commissions. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy-to-use platform. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on-chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp, so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, everyone, we are back with Jay from Rari Capital. And we want to kick off the second half of the show picking Jay's brain as somebody who is, uh, I mean, we're all, we're all young people here in crypto and in, in DeFi largely. It's de- it definitely skews young. But Rari Capital also skews young inside of an industry that skews young. And uh, especially when it comes to 2020, building in 2020, after we've gone through the bear market, after DeFi summer has set its precedent, we are now into the era of what some people are calling DeFi Generation 2.0, or perhaps we're calling it Zoomerify. We're actually trying to figure out what the hell this thing actually is that's happening. But there seems to be a new phenomenon of DeFi apps that are coming onto the scene. Rari Capital being one of them, um, uh, uh, Olympus Dow also being one of them as well. So, Jay, what's your opinion on what this thing is? Is it Zoomerify? Is it just DeFi 2.0? What's going on here? Yeah, I think it's I think it's DeFi 2.0, right? It's like the the people have understood DeFi 1.0, and they've actually taken. I think DeFi 1.0 didn't crack tokenomics properly. And how I think about DeFi 2.0 is DeFi 1.0 with interesting tokenomics, right? Some of them, a lot of them probably aren't going to work. A lot of them are probably going to die with stupid emissions and stuff that just doesn't make sense. But what I find most interesting about this is that people are actually iterating on incentives in a very, very interesting way, right? And that's that's what crypto enables. That's what DeFi enables is these interesting incentive loops that we couldn't ever do in the traditional world. So I'm just excited to see to see what happens with this with this idea of DeFi 2.0. I do think that it is skewing much to a to a younger age compared to DeFi 1.0, I guess. 
Um, but nonetheless, it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, what's interesting is like um, Ben, one of our analysts. Uh, he's actually still a college kid. You know, graduates. Uh, you know, this summer he is so into this DeFi two two stuff. Like, like he keeps us informed right. with what's going on because like David and I are in this industry all the time. But like, there are these new protocols that are doing all of these great things, and these are the the protocols like um, Olympus DAO and like Rari that Ben gravitates towards. Right. So yeah. it's also it's not just necessarily about like age as in when you were born. It's also about like, when did you enter crypto, right? What's your yeah. class, right? I feel like people who are entering DeFi now, class of 2020, class of uh, 2021, they are very into these new protocols. But, but the one thing you mentioned, because I think there are a few, I guess, patterns that we see in this new cohort, this uh, Zoomer Fire DeFi 2.0. Um, the first thing to, to maybe talk about in some more depth is uh, uh, token economics, which you mentioned, right? And so um, I guess DeFi summer of 2020 is when tokens for DeFi uh, actually got introduced, you know, most famously with, with Compound, sort of the first yep. uh, yield farm ever, and then gradually other, other tokens. What is this new, you know, I guess, iteration on token economics? I think we understand in more detail um, Olympus DAO and maybe what they're doing with their token ec economics. Is that sort of a, like, is, is that a prime example of what you mean by token economics? And Rari Capital, it seems like you guys aren't doing very much yet with your token economics, although you did do this fair launch, which is totally different than most DeFi protocols in previous cohorts of like 87% out to your community, which is like, kudos for that. I also wonder if you like, if you have any regrets about that, or if you feel like that was the, the total right move, but tell me about token economics. What is different in this new class? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things, right? It's first of all, this idea of PCV was introduced, right? I think PCV is a very, very groundbreaking change for, for DeFi in general. And that's protocol for, controlled value. Exactly. Right. I, I think that the way that Faye uses it, the way that Olympus now uses it, the way that projects are now accumulating their own LP, that's that's a whole new dynamic. That's a whole new primitive in itself at Olympus. And and I guess Faye to a certain extent introduced with each other. Um, beyond that, I would say one of the one of the more interesting trends that we noticed is in DeFi summer, we saw the rise of anons, right? The the rise of anons has led to the rise of innovative token models. Right, because it's scary, right? Somebody like Compound Labs can't do nearly as much as somebody like um, Daniel from Spell, right? And it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see if any of it's sustainable from a regulatory perspective, or if it, or if this this out outpaces what whatever the regulation does do, right? So I, I think it's a combination of all these different things. This this idea of all of these, all of these new concepts, such as PCV floating around, combined with the flexibility of being a non, has just led to massive innovation in the space. And and you're right, right? With Rari, we haven't been super aggressive about tokenomics. Um, we we I, like I think VERGT is going to be our first time touching the token contract since since our initial launch. Besides for the move to on-chain governance. And I'm really excited about it, and I'm really excited to continue iterating on it. But at, at the same time, it's like we also live in the United States, and we're doxed individuals, and what we can and cannot do is very different than most other projects that have run as an, an on-team. Yeah, it's interesting. You're not you're not like Scoopy Triples, I guess, that is still yep. kind of running uh, in on there. Like back to that other question, do you think that eighty-seven um, percent 
fair launch the community was the right move? Or do you have any regrets about that? Yeah. So I think we launched at a time when that was the norm, right? That, that was DeFi summer. And I, I think that we just went with the, we went with the wins there. But now you look back at DeFi summer and of maybe 50 projects that launched during that time period, maybe five or six of them are still around. And of the five or six of them that are still around, maybe three of them are actually like innovating. And it is worrisome. I think that in order to do a, a fair launch of that caliber, you need to have a team that really sees the, the long-term vision, right? And and for us, right, looking back at 12.5%, what, what I think when, when I see it, and like if I saw another team that was going to do the same, I was like, you guys need to have a plan, right? And quite honestly, we didn't have a plan when we did it, right? This this was more just like, let's see what happens, right? Like, let's, let's have some fun with this. And if I could go back, yes, I would probably change it, right? I'd want to have more team incentives. I'd want to have longer-term incentive structures, but what, like, that's easy to say. What matters now is how, what we're doing to fix it, what we're doing to iterate on it, and what we're doing with the team to make sure that everybody's properly incentivized for the long term. We have a lot of ideas here, right? We just minted more tokens, which is just being sat on by the DAO. Um, I, I don't know what the, the future here holds, but what I can tell you is that the team, we've committed them long term. They're all super excited about the protocol and for reasons beyond just financial gain, which is what's really important to me, right? When when talking to new contributors into the team, it's not just about, okay, what is the token worth right now? I hate it when people ask me that. I hate talking about token price or anything related to that. I want to know who's actually passionate about building a permissionless lending and borrowing system and who's actually excited about getting rid of the power that the banks have and making it so that, yeah, you can take out a loan if you're in Africa, if you have like underprivileged needs or whatever the case may be. And that's the future that we're working towards. Another thing about this uh, Zoomer Fire or DeFi 2.0 cohort is um, you guys all tend to um, kind of work together a little bit and your successes are shared, right? So you, so you mentioned, hey, the huge increase in total locked value in Rari is partially due to our collaboration with um, oh, the Ohm token, right? From Olympus Dow, part of the same cohort, which I find really interesting. You know, something else I suppose that that's interesting is some of the ideas, I guess, and some of the concepts coming out of uh, DeFi 2.0 seem very risky to like the established DeFi protocols, right? And that's why I do think that this uh, this ZoomerFi category holds a little bit because, like, you know, D- DeFi baby boomers, you know, they look at their 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 maker and their and their compound and their Ave, and we've taken years to get these models right, and like the risk is, you know, and we can't screw up because if we do, the entire like outside traditional finance world is going to say, "See, we knew it would all break down." And here is ZoomerFi, and they are out there, and they are like, you know, making things happen, forging new new uh territory but also taking on more risk it feels very out there and feels very risky to the established DeFi protocols of the world so there's also this characteristic do you think that's accurate are you guys like taking more risk are you guys more bleeding edge or is that just what every generation always says about the next generation right uh you know bitcoiners said this about DeFi in the early days too what's your take yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, right? There in DeFi 2.0, there is this mentality of build fast and break fast, right? But I think that's not a bad thing, right? I think that's what's going to lead to innovation, right? If everybody's holding back and not really pushing the barrier of what is allowed or what isn't allowed, we're not going to actually see cool shit being built. 
So to me, it's, it's, yeah, maybe there will be some people, some projects that collapse and yes, people will inevitably lose money, which is an unfortunate reality, but it's at the, it's, it, it's just a, it's, it's a cost of building a better financial system and hypothetically something even better, like even more than just a financial system than we have today. Jay, that is the argument, though, is more along the lines of, hey, we, we are in an industry that is, is more like uh, medical devices, right? It's, it's that important. You know, a, a, a smart contract bug, a mistake, $100 million could be wiped out in just like this. And that can yep. affect and it can hurt a lot of people. So that has been the argument for not move fast and break things, but more like make sure we get the shit right and like don't let bad things happen and, you know, make sure all of our protocols are double audited and we're, you know, we're going to the nth degree to make sure that these things are, are stable and secure. Um, you, you kind of, this, this new class sort of rejects that a little bit and, you know, but do you think there's any merit there? Like Rari was, uh, hacked at, at one point in time earlier. I know this was earlier in the protocol's existence, but what did you learn from that experience? And do, do you still give some, I guess, credence to those that are urging caution in DeFi protocols? Yeah, I, it's interesting, right? So zooming out, I think that there's, there's a spectrum again here, right, of, of this risk. And I think what's important is that consumers are aware of the risk, right? They know that Compound has been around for longer and has achieved a longer Lindy than something like Rari's Fuse today. But I think that there needs to be room for for both. There needs to be like the people who are iterating fast, breaking fast, and there also needs to be room for the people who are taking the slower approach. And what's important is that people are aware of both of these, right? People can choose whichever that they're more comfortable with. I don't think anybody should be dictating which or which shouldn't like should should be existing. As for Rari specifically, and to touch on this idea of that the hack that happened earlier this year, it was really tough, right? Like that that was a really tough time for the Rari community. I think it was really cool though that that we all came together, right? The the day after the hack, we organized a town hall to talk about solutions. Over 300 people came to that town hall, I believe which is just like it highlights how powerful the Rari community really is, how we all came together in this time of need. And I think that the protocol left that much stronger than it went into that, which is really, really interesting, right? And in how the team actually responded and how contributors, even not part of the team and the community members responded to that event. It was really awesome. And what we learned is Security is number one, right? That that should always be the case, right? Everything we ship is audited. What what we did what we did right after that is we went to Quantstamp, who is our primary auditor. We said we want to get on a one-year retainer with you guys. We were the first protocol to do this. Now every single piece of code that we launch, we have a spreadsheet with Quantstamp that tracks every single line of code that we've touched. They review it before we can even submit and or push it live. And we've also We've also committed with a few other independent auditors who are actively looking at our code base every single day, right? Because I never want to be in that position again when I wake up and I wake up to a bunch of calls. It's like, shit, something's happening right now, right? And that's that's my nightmare. And we're going to do everything we can to, to, to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So there is a, an interesting progression to discuss when we talk about DeFi apps, the development of DeFi apps and their relationship with risk. And I do want to emphasize that um, what Jay just said here is that, you know, while maybe uh, Rari might be 
more risky than the current DeFi apps. Let's really put things into perspective. Just because we are more risky doesn't mean that we aren't taking things seriously. Risk is still exactly. first and foremost. Um, but uh, you know, we started this whole DeFi thing back in like 2018 with MakerDAO, and MakerDAO had the most conservative culture when it came to development. And same thing with Compound. And then Aave got a little bit more risky, but not really. Uh, and so really, to me, this whole ZoomerFi slash DeFi 2.0 phenomenon is really just that like we have these risk averse protocols we have this risk averse foundation and what would rari be if it didn't really already have assets like dai or other money markets out there right so it actually is the time towards leaning in towards like some of the, these riskier ventures because as of just a few minutes ago Rari Capital crossed a billion dollars locked in DeFi, so you know that something is working wait, here. Wait, 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 it did? It did, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, yeah, right, you, let me you show it on the screen. Mm -hmm. David, you have some sad effects for this? This is pretty momentous. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I do. Oh, no, it's only music. It's only music. I don't, I don't have the right sound effects. Uh, but, but Jay, congratulations, my man, on crossing a billion dollars in DeFi. So clearly the strategy is, is working out. How does it feel to have a billion dollars in the smart contracts? scary <laughs> <laughs> good answer after we just discussed risk to the <laughs> well congrats to the team very yeah, cool thank you. Thank so jay where does uh where does rari go from here where win 10 billion locked in DeFi, locked in rari and how does that happen yeah i think it's only a matter of time right what we're focused on right now is composability supporting more assets all of this like crazy stuff, right? Supporting being able to take your token Mac positions, put it inside a fuse, lever up on that Uniswap V3 LP positions as collateral, all these crazy things you should be able to put inside a fuse. And this is obviously just building for the day when we can support real world assets, where we can make a difference in the real world itself. That, that day is not here yet, right? That's going to take some time. So in the meantime, we're going to crack DeFi. We're going to get all of DeFi inside a fuse, and then we'll get the real world inside a fuse one day. Jay, I've got a question about how you guys approach regulation, because if if I were in your position with my disposition back when I was 19 or 20, I wouldn't have even known about regulation. I kind of would have just like done what I wanted to do and then realized I got into trouble after the fact. When when did regulation come on your guys' radar and how did you guys decide to navigate that waters, those waters? Yeah, all very good questions. So regulation's always been a discussion at RRI, right? Um, and I would say... My, my personal philosophy here is that DeFi really has consumed my life at this point, right? I spend so many hours behind my computer talking to people on Twitter, talking to people on Telegram, right? Just thinking about DeFi in general, I'm always thinking about DeFi, right? So it's like DeFi has taken over my life. It's taken over my financial accounts, right? 99% of my net worth is probably in DeFi tokens right now. That whatever regulation is happening, I'm here to fight that fight, right? Because DeFi really is my life. So when, when you have people like the DeFi Education Fund, all of these political action committees that are being together, it's not like, oh, yeah, they, the big guys got it. Now I feel that it's my responsibility to be participating in those discussions and to help construct the narrative and the regulation narrative to make sure that our, our interests are looked out for as, as a community and as an industry. So I would say regulation is top of mind, and we're doing everything that we can to make sure that we're, we're on the right side of history here. 
And then I have an, another question with regarding to the whole ac the actual Zoomer generation, actual Gen Z, not Zoomerfy. I want to draw a line in the sand, not talking about Zoomerfy anymore. I want to talk about Zoomers and their relationship with crypto. Uh, what is that like? What's it like to be uh, from Generation Z in crypto? And is it easier for you to explain crypto to your friends than it is for us? Because for me, it's still really, really hard. So like, what, what's that like? What is the Zoomer stance towards crypto? Not just for the people that are already in crypto, but for your friends who are still looking at it from the outside. Yeah, I, I think that there are a couple different pieces. Obviously, you have all the people that go and trade Dogecoin on Robinhood and call themselves deep into crypto because they study the charts every day. Um, <laughs> but the, the people who are wanting to understand DeFi, there's a lot of them right now. Now, DeFi is really getting into getting into a very interesting place. Part of it's speculation and financially driven. Part of it's just driven out of pure curiosity. And one interesting thing that I've learned is just explaining it to them maybe isn't harder or easier than, than anybody else outside of Gen Z, but, but it's a different type of explanation, right? And this was the same case for me is like working on Ambo, the mobile wallet, it was, we were, we were in Compound's office, right? Showing Leshner the integration and the button wasn't Lend, right? I didn't know what Lend meant at the time. It was earn interest. Right. So rephrasing and redoing DeFi from the perspective of somebody who maybe doesn't have traditional finance experience, it, it becomes a very, very interesting perspective to tailor the narrative to. And I think it's a massive market that's bound to that's bound to enter into the crypto space. And it's already happening today. Right. You walk around this campus and people are talking about NFTs. People are talking about DeFi and it's broken. It's I, I think we've crossed the chasm. And this is why I'm also hopeful on a regulation perspective is now 10 percent of Americans own crypto. Right. This is becoming something that is mainstream. It will only increase that percentage. And we're at the point where we just make up so much and it'll increase at an exponential rate. So when you were walking around campus, like uh, you at the start of the show talked to how you are like the crazy crypto person that no one really understands. But do they know that there's a billion dollars locked in the application that you built? Like, do they understand the implications of that? I think that there's some of them that know, but I, I try to be a, I try to be a kid when I'm on campus, if that Fair makes enough. sense. Fair enough. No, it definitely does. Uh, so you can only awesome. do college once. So. <laughs> Jay, Jay, well said, man, all of this, uh, super insightful. I, I guess, um, I, I gotta say I'm pretty bullish on, uh, gen, you know, the second generation of DeFi that's spinning up. I'm pretty bullish ZoomerFi. Um, the energy you guys exude is uh, phenomenal and you guys are building new, more innovative things. Uh, as David said, we already have the more conservative DeFi protocols. So those are already a fallback for us. And it's great to see the energy, the experimentation. Like I can feel from you that you are just like all in this industry and you're going to spend the next couple of decades here. And so there's also going to be uh, future generations, right? Um, yep. Rari is certainly not the last generation to come. There will be a third generation and a fourth generation and a fifth generation. And I, I guess I'm curious for you is what do you think we have left to build in DeFi, right? We've got some of these basic money Lego primitives uh, built, but what needs to come next and what are you looking forward to the most? That's, that's a good question. I, I think that there's like, there's so much left to build. Right, zooming out, DeFi still caters to the 0.1 percenters, right? The the DeFi users who maybe gotten earlier, the Bitcoin users who somehow found their way into DeFi. 
But at the end of the day, we're still catering towards a lot of speculative users. We're still catering towards people who just want leverage or to go and do stuff without selling, right? Which is cool and all, but it's not the future that I want to be building. So I think the future that I look forward to is, is one where this trickles into the real world, one where our applications are actually being used for real life things and with real life consequences, right? Because at the end of the day, how I view it and or how, how I think other people in the industry view it and just from discussions with them is it's almost like DeFi right now is a game, right? So when does this game really make its way into reality and, and start making a monumental difference there? We always talk about banking the unbanked. Really all we've done is just rebank the banked. I'm looking forward to products hopefully in the next cohort of users. And if not, we'll be actively iterating on this future where we can actually deliver on that future of un, or of banking the unbanked. That's awesome. Jay, to, to close us out, what are some other, I guess, second generation DeFi projects that you really like and that we should be taking a look at in the bankless community? Yeah, all, all of the usual suspects that we talked about on this show, definitely. Obviously the Olympus down, the Omis inside of Fuse, love them. Um, Alchemix, just super, super cool, the project, right? Just something that wasn't possible in traditional finance, taking a DeFi, a DeFi native, a DeFi native approach to just everything. And it's, it's stuff like that, that gets me excited. Just stuff that isn't possible in the real world, stuff that is built on composability and it's just exciting stuff. Do you like Abracadabra? Are they in the, the cohort? Been hearing a lot of yeah. that spell recently. Definitely. I am. I'm a big fan of Abracadabra. Um, obviously there, there is some like weird overlap between Fuse and Abracadabra, but holistically I'm, I'm just excited about all of this new shit and just iterations and, and innovations in general. There we are guys. This has been Jay talking about Rari protocol. Jay, thanks so much for guiding us. Uh, you guys are doing some exciting things. Congrats on the 1 Thank billion you. locked inside of Rari. That's absolutely massive. Um, give, uh, give, uh, our congratulations to the rest of the team at Rari too, and to the entire community. Uh, anything else you want to say before we, uh, we head out here? Um, I'll shout out my mom and dad. Hi. Um, <laughs> love you. Um, but beyond that, no, thank you for having me. Are they into DeFi by the way? Not really. I don't think they understand what I do to be completely honest. <laughs> I'm still trying to explain it to them. I hear you on that one. All right, guys. Uh, this has been Bankless State of the Nation. Of course, risks and disclaimers. None of this has been financial advice. Absolutely none of it. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. Rari Capital is risky as well. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless